Good morning, New Life Church. Sometimes we get confused about what is most valuable, right? We take the lesser thing and think it is better than the greater thing. And this is why an older brother can trick his younger brother to trade his dime for a nickel. It's bigger, after all, right? The nickel's bigger. But is it more valuable? No. I used to collect things when I was a boy, and we didn't have much money, so I didn't collect anything cool. I collected newspapers. Yes, it's not cool. Usually, I'd take the comic section out of the newspaper, and sometimes the rest of the paper as well. And at one point, I had so many newspapers that I made an eagle about the size of our dining room out of newspapers. And my parents, wise ones as they are, knew that those things had to go because we couldn't use our dining room anymore. But I was attached to them. So they offered a model truck that I could assemble with my dad if I got rid of it. And you know, I was still torn. You can have this cool model truck with the the little plastic parts you take out and you you glue them together. You get to play with super glue. That's super fun. And the paint and the wheels and the fake chrome pieces and you make this really cool truck model or you can have the trash in the living room. I was torn. Sometimes the lesser things have their grip on us, don't they? C.S. Lewis describes a boy making mud pies in a slum, not able to comprehend what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says we are far too easily pleased. We hold little things and we miss the big things. We often put the immediate, less valuable thing in our pocket and lose the more valuable. This morning, an interaction with Jesus described in the book of Matthew, where we'll be, will warn us of this very thing, that today's belongings cover your eyes to the treasure of heaven. Today's belongings cover your eyes to the treasure of heaven. So let's dig in. Go to Matthew 19, pull out your Bible or swipe down to the right spot, put your Bible on your lap, open it to chapter 19, verse 16, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew. I want to point to this awesome picture here, King Jesus. Jesus is king, right? We're going to have to do better than this. Jesus is king, right? Yes, there we go, there we go. And he has a different kind of kingdom than we are used to. The type of people that are allowed is different than we expect. The attitudes and the actions and those who belong in the kingdom all seem to be upside down from what we would expect or perhaps the really right way around. Last week, we were in Matthew 19, just before this passage we're gonna be in this morning. Just prior, we saw how the king, how King Jesus dealt with the intrusion of children, the least, the ones we are tempted to think get in the way of the important adult business, right? But this king, this king of the cosmos, the redeemer of humanity, what does he do? He welcomes them. For such belong the kingdom of heaven, he says. And this morning, the opposite type of person walks up to Jesus, the important person, the kind of person you would expect to make his own way into the kingdom, someone who had earned it, 
In other gospels, he is called a ruler. Someone with power, someone with wealth, someone with vigor, and we will see how Jesus interacts with him. Starting in verse 16, it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And behold, it's been a while since we've been in Matthew for an extended amount of time, but this little phrase, it would be helpful to remember. This is like a special effect for the movie that Matthew wants to produce. He will say, and behold, check this out. Pay attention. Something interesting is about to occur. And what is interesting? A contrast is about to happen, right? Jesus was just talking with children saying, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He puts his hands on them and then he goes away. And as he is walking, and behold, watch what happens. A man comes up and asks him, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And at this point in Matthew, I don't know about you, whenever I see someone come up to Jesus and ask a question, I'm a little hesitant. The last time someone was asking a question, it was a trap, right? It's a trap. So now, we want to think about what is this question? Think about three things. Is this a good question? What is the purpose of the question? What is the nature of the questioner, the one asking the question? Is this a good question? Hmm. This guy seems to want eternal life. Asking about eternal life is a good idea, right? It's a good idea. And talking to a teacher, that seems pretty reasonable. That's a good idea, right? And talking to Jesus, who happens to be that teacher, this all seems good, yeah? But what about that first part? What good deed? Maybe you have been in church a long time or long enough, and you've heard many times that salvation is not by works or by deeds. And so you're thinking, eh, bad question. But this is our default way of thinking, right? And this is, from what I can tell, an observant Jew walking up to Jesus who had a covenant and commandments to which he should be faithful. So in his desire to obtain the goal, eternal life, he wants to make sure he is faithful to his side of the agreement. So is this a good question? Potentially, I think so. But he doesn't yet know who he is questioning. And what is the purpose of this question? That's the second, the second thing you should ask of a question. Seems like he's trying to seek eternal life. He wants something good, right? And what is the nature of the questioner? Who is this person? What's going on in his mind? We don't know that. The questioner knows, but we don't know yet. So the question is there, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And now what does Jesus say? And in 17, and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus is such a good responder. I was mentioning this in Life Group just a couple weeks ago. I used to read these passages and read about Jesus, and I used to get to these dialogues and these questions that would go back and forth, and I would see someone ask a question of Jesus, and it seemed like, when he would ask questions back, it seems like he was always getting away with not answering the questions. Like, oh, you're, 
You're getting away with it. What's going on? But the more I read the words of Jesus, the more I realize he is so wise. And his questions cut into things we didn't know were there at first glance. He is usually asking questions that should have been asked. He so quickly gets down to the bedrock assumptions of what the questioner is asking or or the assumptions of the questioner himself. He comes up, what good deed must I do? And he says, why do you ask me what is good? And this is a good question. If you are asking about a good deed, you want to talk to someone who is an authority on the good, right? Right? If I was asking for where I can find a tasty taco in this area, there are probably many authorities on that in this room, right? I I, I consider myself an authority on where to get a good taco around here. But if I, that's a small question, but if I escalate my question to what good deed must I do to enter eternal life, I'm not asking a small question anymore. And you and I do not have authority to answer that kind of question. I can tell you where to buy tacos. I cannot give you with authority the answer to what good deed must I do to enter eternal life. Why? Because we are not manning the door to eternal life. Who should I want to ask that question of? The one who is good. The one who says what good is. The one who defines the good. This is a question for who? For God. And Jesus does two things in his response. He points to that fact. Why ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. You should be asking the good one this question. That's what he's saying. This is a question for God, and you came to me only as a teacher. That's profound. And then he answers the question with authority anyway. That is some wild jujitsu stuff, guys. Jesus raises the bar and then leaps over it. The guy comes up, teacher, can you tell me your opinion about how to enter life? Here's the bar, right? And Jesus says, only God can answer a question like that. And here is the answer. Wow. And he says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus answers the question, but already the conversation is more than this guy bargained for. So keep the commandments. And how does the man respond? In verse 18, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? We have to give this guy credit for some moxie, right? some nerve, some determination, right? Which ones? That's a crazy question. Which ones? Jesus just elevated who he was talking to and he says, keep the commandments. And this guy has the boldness to say, which ones? This is is where I want to know what's going on in his head. I don't think he's trying to trap Jesus. 
but it seems like he might be hoping Jesus leaves something out. And have you ever done that? I know, I know kids do that. We'll get to the adults in a second. Kids, it's okay. Kids, we do that, right? You have the chore list on the fridge. You can see it on the fridge. And what does it say? Make your bed, brush your teeth, do your homework, put your shoes away, take out the trash. Okay, those are the chores I'm supposed to do. And you're sitting on the couch and your dad comes home because he's tired, he doesn't remember all the chores on the list, and he comes in, hey, did you do your chores? Which ones? Uh, make your bed, brush your teeth, put your shoes away. Okay, yeah, I've done those. And you think you get away with not doing your homework or taking out the trash. And adults, this happens at work too. I know it does. We try to do just enough to get across the finish line. We try to avoid doing all the annoying little paperwork details or the thing that people won't see if it doesn't get done. And we try to avoid it until someone points it out. Just the other day, I was sitting at my other job in a, in a meeting and someone was giving someone grief, not because they didn't do all the stuff, but they said, you, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Just, just, just get away with what you can, and then if someone calls you on it, then you can do more. It's like, this, we're encouraging this. Okay. The whole idea is let someone call you out so you can do just enough, and that seems to be the posture here. What is going on in his head? He knows, he knows, but we don't know yet. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is not a dummy, right? Jesus is not a dummy, right? Right, thank you. We had a little kid last hour say, no, he's not a dummy. And what would be the easy answer here? The question is, which ones? The easy answer is, all of them. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are all parts of the Ten Commandments. These sound familiar. But did he say all ten? Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. No, he doesn't. It seems Jesus notes all the commandments that are related to our neighbors, to the way we interact with others, to the horizontal level of relationship, the work of justice and righteousness. And he summarizes them with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he left two things out in particular. The first is he left out the first four commandments which deal with my relationship with God, the vertical interaction with God. You shall have no other gods. Number two, you shall not make a carved image. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. And secondly, Jesus leaves out one of the commandments on this person level. The way I act with my neighbor's level. If you know the numbers, he said number six, number seven, number eight, number nine. Then he throws in number five, honor your father and mother. And what is left? Number 10. And what does number 10 say? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your, his neighbor's house, your servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Very interesting. Jesus responds with a truncated list. Hmm. And the young man responds, 
and says to him, all these I have kept, everything you said I've kept, what do I still lack? I've done it, he says, anything else. He jumps off the couch and does his chores. The boldness of this guy. And I don't think this guy is here to trap Jesus. I think he knows his own mind. And he knows he lacks something. He has tried hard. He has been given a list and he has worked hard at the list, checking off the boxes. But he knows he's not satisfied. He doesn't breathe easy at night. His striving has not given him confidence that he is entering eternal life. Thus, he is walking up to Jesus asking, what do I do? And this also makes me think he's not heard the Sermon on the Mount. That long sermon of Jesus toward the beginning of Matthew where Jesus the King lays everything out about how the kingdom works. And Jesus the King in that sermon says, the commandments tell you to not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. He raises the bar. Jesus the King says, the commandments tell you you shall not murder, but I say... If you are angry with your brother, you will be liable for judgment. And he raises the bar. Jesus the king says, the commandment says, you shall not bear false witness. But I say, say yes or no and stand by your word. He raises the bar. And in the kingdom of eternal life, everything is ramped up. Box checking is not sufficient. Perfection is required. Jesus has just given this guy a few boxes to check. And the guy says, I've checked those boxes. I've done those things. The man knows his heart and his work. But the surprising thing, and this is always true, friends, the surprising thing is that Jesus knows his heart better than he does. Jesus omitted number 10. And now he's going to press on that. What happens next? In verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And now the full weight of what is required for entrance into heaven is shown. You need perfection. You need to be good, not just good enough. You need to be good. He said it during the Sermon on the Mount this way in Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You need to be like the good one. And this guy was right to ask about what good thing he needs, but you need to ask the good one. God is the good one, and his perfection is required. And there is a crack in this man's soul. And he knows it's there, and Jesus knows it's there. And Jesus left out commandment number 10 that talks about stuff and wanting more stuff and wanting other people's stuff and that shiny new stuff. And then Jesus presses on the crack Because Jesus knows this man more than he knows himself. And he says, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 
Do you think you can do your way into eternal life? Do you think you can hustle your way into the kingdom? Do you think you can perform your way into paradise? You can't. Because you are all broken. You can't do this. I can't do this. We can't do this. We need the perfection of God to enter eternal life. And the great lie of the box-checking life is that you can do it. You can be good enough. You can check enough boxes, but that is the wrong test, friends. Entrance into the kingdom is not a bubble-filling exercise. This is a pass-fail test. Are you good, fully, completely, perfectly, or not? And we all fail that test. You all fail that test. Because we are all cracked. We are all cracked. And for some of us, certain cracks are more prominent than others. Maybe it's the lying, or the sexual sin, or the making of idols, or going after other gods. But you are all cracked. And for this man, it was the stuff. He loved the stuff. And Jesus pressed him to show him his inability, to show him that this box-checking life would not paper over the brokenness. Jesus says, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And the invitation is there. Come follow Jesus. Set this performance life aside. Follow the king. And where is the king going? To the kingdom. Where is the king going? To eternal life. That's what this guy wants. Where is the king going? To heaven. To the treasure. To the holiday at the sea. But you have to let go of your grip on the stuff to get the treasure. You gotta let it go. My boys love treasures. And they also just have a love for little things. And sometimes it is hard for them to differentiate between a little thing and a treasure little thing. And we'll come home from the store, so I'll have a receipt, and a boy will come up and say, Can I have the receipt? Sure. And so now there's a bunch of stuff, a bunch of paper, a bunch of debris and trash and rubbish in his treasure box, right? I don't know where they get this habit. I don't... But then they find a shiny rock, a pretty rock, or a pretty shell, or a coin, and there is no room in the treasure box because of the debris, because of the trash. And I've seen the struggle how do I put treasure in the box? How do I let go of this stuff so I have room for the treasure? Friends, we can't stuff Jesus in the treasure box alongside a bunch of receipts and trash. Jesus is not an add-on. It's all or nothing for the treasure. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 13. 
He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That is the right response when you come up to the treasure. You sell it all and you buy the field. And Jesus has put the opportunity right in front of this man. It's as though he's saying, you have the field right in front of you. Take the field. And what should his response be? What should the man's response be? I've heard it in a song sung this way. I bought the field. And I keep digging up more treasure. It turns out it's here in the ground. And I can never measure. Is there even a cost if I end up holding heaven? Oh, the beauty of living in your presence. That should be it, right? That should be his response. He's standing next to the king. He's in front of the king. And the king says, buy the field. You can have the treasure. But his response is not that song. It's not those words. And it breaks my heart. The young man, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I can almost see him with a handful of receipts, a living room full of trash, Hands full of mud pies. How could I give these up? And he just can't see it. He came knowing he lacked something and he left sorrowful because his hands are full of stuff he can't let go of. He is distressed because he is rich. He has means and things and money, and this is a rich young man, but he's not the king of the world. This is not the elite upper crust. Other gospel accounts say he is a ruler, but there are a lot of rulers in Scripture. Rulers of the synagogue, rulers of the Pharisees, rulers of the people, rulers of the Jews. It would not be uncommon to see a ruler. And friends, we want to isolate ourselves from this and think, oh, this passage is talking about the Elon Musks of the day, the Jeff Bezos of the day, the president of the world of the day. Friends, this is us. He lives in West Lynn. He lives in Oregon City. His hesitation to let go of his possessions is not because he has more possessions than anyone else in the world. It's because he has great possessions. And friends, because of the blessing of time and space where we live, we have unimaginable wealth. It's so part of our everyday, we don't even think about it. Maybe you think, I'm not the rich young man. I'm not like this guy. I only have one car or two cars. I only have a house with air conditioning or access to food from any part of the world at the local grocery store. Or the ability to vacation somewhere, to Mexico, or to the coast, or to the mountain. And I have a phone in my pocket that has enough computing power to send a thousand Apollo missions to the moon. And I have health insurance. 
and a 401k. These are great possessions. And this guy had no ability whatsoever to do any of those things. This is not an interesting story because his situation is so intriguing and foreign. This is important because the crack in that guy's soul may be the crack in our own. Are you blinded? Are you holding up the little treasure, the lesser treasure, and you can't see the greatest treasure of all? And Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Jesus watches the rich man walk away. The children came with nothing and are blessed and the rich man comes with seemingly so much and walks away from the king, from the invitation, from the treasure with perhaps less than when he started. And Jesus says, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. With strain, it is hard. Because if you want to grasp something, you have to make sure your hands are empty. And if you want stuff, it will be hard to let it go. And the greater the thing in your hand, the more the weight, the more the hesitation to let it go. In fact, Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And yes, that is as absurd as it sounds. It's not as though way back in the day the needles were so big that this would make sense. They had needles for sewing clothing like we do. And if it's small enough to sew clothing, it is too small to be a doggy door for a camel. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that's probably the biggest understatement you're going to hear today. There has sometimes been an attempt to guess that maybe, maybe what Jesus is talking about is a special gate that they called the eye of the needle, and it was small, but if you could get a camel to hunch down and shimmy into the gate, then you could get through the gate. And it would be hard, but it'd be doable. Friends, needle, camel, impossible. You cannot shimmy your way into the kingdom. The most excellent performance will not do. You cannot keep a grasp of your possessions like this man did and still get the treasure. You love God or money, you cannot have two masters. If you have these possessions as the thing that holds your gaze, you cannot see the treasure. It is really, 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 really hard. It is impossible. And we know that we are talking about needles and camels and it was as absurd as we think it is because the disciples' response, great astonishment, right? 
When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? That is the right question. You can't put a camel through a needle, Jesus. So if that is how a rich man is saved, who can be saved? Who has any hope? Who can do it? And even more so, Because they work from a framework that describes if I live wisely in the world, if I live righteously in the world, there is blessing. There is often wealth. That is how the righteous one is described in Psalms. This is from Psalm 112. It says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Read Proverbs. It describes a way of blessing that goes with wisdom. That is how the world should work. Not that it always works that way, but if you live wisely, there's blessing that comes from that. And the disciples would have looked at this rich man, this rich young man, especially a rich young man who's hoping to follow the commandments and see this is a righteous guy. This is someone blessed by God. This is someone that would go into the kingdom. This one is someone that's close, surely, right? We turned away the kids, but this guy, come right up, talk to Jesus. He's probably already so close. And Jesus tells them this whole camel and needle bit. And they ask the question, who will be saved? He was a blessed one. We're only fishermen and tax collectors. We're all doomed. If even he can't get there, And the question is asked that was asked at the beginning of this whole story as the questioner leaves sorrowful. How do we get eternal life? Who then can be saved? In verse 26 it says, but Jesus looked at them. This has all the drama of a movie scene. He watches the rich one walk away. And they ask then, who then can be saved? And he turns to them and looks at them. He looks them in the eye. He puts his gaze on them and says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. No man can do this. No woman can accomplish this. No human can make this work. You are not capable You cannot do a good deed great enough to enter eternal life. You cannot save yourself. It is impossible for you to do this work. You are not good enough and you are not able. But God, God is good and God is able. We cannot do our way into perfection, but Jesus is the perfect one who walked how we should walk. We cannot work our way into the kingdom, but Jesus did the work of the cross to open a way for our entrance into the kingdom. We cannot do enough good deeds, but God puts the goodness of Jesus on us and smiles. We are not able to save ourselves, but God is able to save us and connect us to the king. We are not capable of loosing our grip on our possessions, but God is able to do the impossible and put the love of the treasure of heaven in our hearts so we value rightly. 
we, though we be rich young rulers, need Jesus to grab our hearts and give us eyes for the treasure of heaven, eyes for the gleam of the crown on the head of the king. Jesus is good and Jesus is able. God is good and God is able to do this work and he did all that is necessary to make it happen so we can with joy anticipate eternal life. Friends, the prevalence of all the good things around us make it very likely that your possessions blind you of your view of the treasure. And friends, the treasure is far more glorious. You cannot even comprehend how it eclipses your current holdings. You have no treasure when compared to the treasure of heaven. The connection to Jesus, the connection to the king who will restore all creation and make it as it should be. The treasure of heaven, the place where God dwells, the place where all wrong has been made right, the place where the effects of sin no longer ruin our days. The treasure is magnificent. But our things today, in the now, speak so loudly. The feel of it in your hand, the security of the dollars in your bank account, the comfort of the roof, the pleasure of the car or the meal or the experience or the vacation, they all have the potential of blocking your view of the king. And they all have a voice that can speak and pull your gaze from heaven. If this is you, pray to the king right now. Say, Lord, loosen my grip and give my heart its ultimate affection for the treasure. I want to see the treasure. I want to want the treasure. And if you are here sitting, thinking about if you have checked enough boxes, know this, you haven't. You haven't checked enough boxes, but the good King Jesus will give you his goodness Run to Jesus. Friends, treasure awaits. Friends, a king and a kingdom await. Let's pray. Lord, there is a lot of good stuff all around us. We are tempted daily, hourly, to value the small things over and above the treasure. We need the impossible because it is difficult to walk into the kingdom through so much abundance. But God, you are good and you are able to save and to place us, to place in us a love for the treasure that does not diminish. Please do that. Put a love for the king as the highest love in our hearts. And use these songs to give words to our love even now as we sing. Amen.